Did you know that nearly nine out of 10 home buyers say they'd use a buyer's agent when purchasing a home again? Buyer representation really matters when there's 111 to-dos. Visit Realtor.com slash Buyer Agent Toolkit and spread the word. Buyer agents are essential. Welcome to the Real Trending Special Edition podcast series. Your host, Tracy Velt, editor of content for Real Trends, interviews Real Trends 500 and nation's best brokerage and industry leaders about handling challenging markets, lessons learned growing their businesses, new initiatives, and strategies in recruiting and retention. This is your host, Tracy Velt, Editor-in-Chief of Content for Real Trends. Today, we're speaking with Joe Rand, Chief Creative Officer for Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate Rand Realty. The family-owned brokerage operates in the Hudson Valley and has more than 1,000 agents. Joe was also recently named the Executive Director of the Broker Public Portal. Welcome, Joe. Uh, Thank you for having me, Tracy. I appreciate it, uh, and I look forward to talking to you. Yeah, so congratulations on being named the Executive Director. So I'd love to know a little bit more about that and some of your goals um, pertaining to the growth of the Broker Public Portal. Well, yeah, I'm really excited about it. It's a really good opportunity for me to work with some really smart people. You know, this, this, you know, and I think there's a real opportunity here because what BPP has done in the last four or five years has been really remarkable. Uh, you know, they started with the goal of uh, building or creating or somehow providing a broker, agent, and consumer-friendly uh, a portal for real estate search that would not be based on advertising, kind of a counterweight to the dominant portals, which are all advertising-based. Uh, and then their second goal, which was to help foster a better consumer experience through agent-client collaboration, uh, was realized as HomeSnap built what they call HomeSnap Pro, which is their uh, agent version of the app that allows for uh, agents and uh, buyers to work together and share information, uh, lots of other tools for, for, um, uh, for, uh, for agents in there. And then finally, the last part of the goal is the one that they brought me in for, which is that they have a great consumer app, they have a great agent, client, consumer product in HomeSnap Pro, and now the, the, we just have to get in everybody's hands. Yeah, that's great. Um, so we're going to switch gears a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about Better Homes and Gardens Rand Realty um, and find out how your business was impacted with COVID and how you're doing today. So tell me a little bit about, um, you know, just how you were impacted. And obviously business seems to be doing well around the country. So tell me a little bit about your uh, business today. Well, we were right at ground zero. I mean, my company is in New York City's northern and western suburbs, uh, so you know we cover a big territory, all the uh, suburbs of Westchester, uh, the Hudson Valley, northern New Jersey. But those were right, you know, other than New York City itself, uh, those were the territory in the country back in March, April, May that were the hardest hit. Uh, and we were on top of the public health implications of the pandemic. We were also under what were understandable restrictions on our ability to do our work. We were not considered essential, uh, so real estate agents could not show property. So we went through April and May really thinking, you know, as I went into the end of March and we were making our plans, I really thought the market was going to grind to a halt. I just did not see how we would be able to sell any properties without being able to show them. But I will say it has been a remarkable thing. Uh, The real estate agents really stepped up the 
managers stepped up. Everybody, I think, did remarkable, amazing work uh, in April and May that, you know, we were down in terms of open business, new sales in April and May by about 40% compared to last year. But I think of it as only 40% down. I mean, being only 40% down from 2019 in a market where you can't even show your properties to buyers is to me a, an achievement. Uh, and listings were down like 70%, but that made sense because people, you know, they were all living in their house 24 hours a day. Their living rooms were now Zoom studios. They exactly put them on the market. Wasn't that easy. So, um, so we got through it. Uh, and then in June, when the pandemic eased and, you know, all the things that we had done in the Northeast uh, to, uh, to push down the pandemic really started to pay off, uh, and then the essential services order lifted and we were allowed to show properties, all that pent-up demand from April and May just flooded into the market. And on top of that, we started to get a new strain of demand that came out of Manhattan of people that, you know, pandemic-related were now, maybe they were on the fence about moving before that, and this was the thing that pushed them over the fence. So we had a big flood of buyers that came out of Manhattan and other parts of New York City uh, to come to the suburbs. So between the pent-up demand from the spring and now the new demand from the city, we had a real spike in activity in the summer, which really helped us. And, you know, as of right now, uh, you know, we're, we're ahead of last year, uh, even with what happened, even with everything that's going on. Our sales uh, opens and our closed are now above last year. We're, you know, we're still behind on listings, which is something we're really working on. Uh, but the low inventory is driving price appreciation, which was double digits for the, I think it's going to end up being a double digit price increase in most of our markets for the third quarter. You know, we, it was, it was hard. It was a difficult market to push through, but we pushed through it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I mean, we're, I'm in Florida, so we're seeing a lot of people relocating here as well. So I was going to ask you whether you, you saw quite a few, um, Manhattanites moving, uh, moving out into your area. So, so yeah, that's interesting. Um, so obviously you made some changes with everything going on with the pandemic. Um, have you found that you made any permanent changes due to the pandemic to your processes, your systems, implementing anything new, um, you know, maybe closing offices? Uh, that, yeah, that's a great question. You know, th th there's a there's a really good opportunity right now to look at everything that we do and examine its value to the agent and the consumer. That we were forced to really take a hard look at every one of our expenses in March and April because we really didn't know how much money was going to come in for the next few months. And so we took opportunities to say, all right, what can we cut back on? And we cut a lot of things that may have felt important, but, you know, when we cut them, nobody blinked. Uh, you know, certain uh, weekend coverage, which used to be a coverage in every office, there was one person, and we put, instead of having somebody in 10 different offices, we put one person in one office, and then that person covers all the incoming calls for 10 offices, instead of somebody just, you know, we didn't need someone sitting behind the desk because nobody was coming into the offices themselves, and so now... I don't know if we'll have weekend coverage where we have somebody sitting in an office on a Saturday and Sunday for 10 hours, just for the occasional walk-in when what we can have is, uh, you know, a coordinator managing it from a central location that saves us a lot of, a lot of expenses. I think we also, yeah, I mean, I think everybody's going to take a hard look at facilities with the increased ability to work from home. 
people's facility working from home, people's uh, everybody's much more comfortable with video conferencing technology than they used to be. Uh, you know, that's going to be a big deal. I mean, the fact is that from in, in, the, in just the month of April, I would say that we advanced the average agent's um, facility and ability to do video conferencing. It was about three years of a learning curve that compressed into one month. That if without the pandemic, we would have been going into 2023 or 2024 with the same level of adoption of video conferencing that we have right now. Video conferencing is a big change. I mean, that's gonna that's a big deal. That means that you know maybe you don't need a manager in every office. You need a manager in one out of every three offices. And since most of their interaction with their agents is going to be um, you know, through some sort of video conferencing technology, you can you can do that. They don't see them in person that much anyway, and they're certainly not seeing them in person now. But everybody's getting used to that kind of engagement. Uh, that's going to be, I think, a big difference. I think you'll be able to cut some bricks and mortar. Maybe not closing the offices, but maybe shrinking them to account for the fewer people that are coming in every day, maybe having managers cover multiple offices rather than every manager has an office, every manager has an admin. Uh, those are things that we can save on. And I think the other big savings that from a cost uh, control perspective is a lot of our training, which was done live, everyone now is so much more comfortable with video training, uh, you know, whether it's Zoom or webinar-based or whatever, that I can't ever see us going back to, you know, our full intro to foundations program that we do, the foundations program for our agents, for new agents that come in. I can't ever see that going back to being a live instructional. I can see that being 90% virtual with like a once a week or once a month get together to, you know, have everybody be able to share experiences and do stuff that you can only really do live. And, and that's a big savings, particularly in a company like ours that, you know, our, our training office um, you know, our headquarters is from, is, you know, is a good 45 minute to an hour drive from some of our areas that we cover. So agents were coming into training, traveling a long way, and now they don't have to do that. That's much more efficient for them and, and much more uh, efficient for us that we can do the training for multiple people much more often than we used to, particularly a lot if some of it's done on tape, you know. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it just seems like this, as much as it's been a horrible experience to go through, it's really opened up new opportunities, and it's also um, really forced a lot of agents to get more tech savvy and maybe even take advantage yeah. of what the brokerage has to offer from a tech perspective. So that's that's a welcome, you know, advantage of this if you want to say there's opportunities. Um, so yeah, definitely. Yeah, I always I always shy away from the uh, from when people say, oh, there's a bright line, a bright light, or a bright what is it called, a um, a silver lining in the cloud, just because you know this mm -hmm. has been such a horrific situation. It continues to be a horrific situation, uh, and you don't ever want to minimize it or say, oh, look. But on the other hand, I did you know some more real estate sales. That's just not a way of balancing out the equities there. Um, no. But I think that every challenge, and I, I'm, not I'm not saying that's what you were indicating, but I've heard people say that. But I do th agree with you that every challenge brings with it certain opportunities. You know, every challenge has within it things that, you know, you make the most out of the hand that you're dealt. And I think that in large part, I think this industry has really shown in the last six months. I, I really do. I, I'm very proud of the work that we've done. Uh, all in that we did during the height of the pandemic in terms of keeping the market going, 
uh, that we're doing now, that people are adapting. I mean, agents that never would have dreamed of doing video tours and doing video showings of homes are they're getting their phones out and they're learning how to do it. But technology can be intimidating and technology can be hard and people are adapting. And I think the other part of it is that, yeah, what we referenced before about the fact that everybody's getting used to using less space in the office, which is good for everybody because what it means is that if I can cut you know, a little bit of, of space, a little bit of facilities, and it doesn't make a difference to the consumer, it doesn't make a difference to the agent, well, then that means that there's savings that can go into either more services to the agents or maybe a higher compensation package. Yeah, yeah, I think everyone would prefer that this never happened, for sure. We definitely <laughs> yeah, don't want to minimize it. So, <laughs> Now let's take a quick break to hear some exciting news from Real Trends and our sponsors. When we get back, I'll talk to Joe about how their firm is handling growth amid COVID-19 and where he sees brokerage opportunity in the next six months. Need a quick hit of information on the latest trends in marketing, business, technology, and residential real estate brokerage? Check out Real Trends blog. Daily posts offer real estate insight, tips, and strategies for today's real estate professionals and brokers. Subscribe by going to realtrends.com slash subscribe. Now back to our podcast. Let's talk a little bit about the growth of your brokerage. So tell me how um, your growth strategy has evolved through the years and has it been impacted by COVID-19? We've always grown, you know, multiple ways. I think that primarily brokers grow in, uh, you know, you think of it in three ways. One, you organically grow the careers of the agents that work with you. Uh, so an agent that does 10 deals one year, you help them through systems, training, coaching, whatever, management. You get them to 12. Well, that's a nice increase because that agent is doing more business. Good for her. Good for him. Good for us. Uh, so that's one thing. And I think we've made a, you know, we've made a strong commitment in our company to hands-on management, to top-notch training, to systems that help agents uh, build, to lead generation. Uh, we've done all that. Uh, and mm-hmm. that, you know, has helped us with the organic growth of the individual agent. And then secondly, of course, it's recruitment is, you know, having the value that you can bring agents in, either new agents that are getting their license, that you can get up to speed more quickly than other brokerages, or uh, recruiting from existing, you know, from the competitive landscape and getting people in by, you know, demonstrating how you can, provide them with a better career path and those both of those things and then of course the third type of growth comes from acquisition and we've done that as well when we see opportunities to expand into new markets or we've seen opportunities to for growth within an existing market with roll-ins or with additional uh uh you know a a new office within uh, an area that we cover uh we haven't been afraid to pull the trigger on them most of them have worked some of them haven't i mean you do good 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 acquisitions, bad acquisitions. They all, you know, some of them don't work out. Most of them, knock them, would have worked out for us. Uh, And they've added immensely to the growth of the company. Uh, And we've learned a lot. We're much more, much smarter about the acquisitions that we do now than we, I think, you know, you learn every time. You learn something new every time. So I think we get better at it the more we do it. And uh, so we've had a lot of successes bringing in some really, really great people uh, to the company, you know, both as, uh, uh, broker owners who were producers who come in and now they're freed up from the obligation to manage a company and all they're doing is the sales that they really like to do more and they go from 
you know, having a million dollar GCI company where they were doing half a million dollars GCI themselves and then they sell the company and then for, they go from doing half a million by themselves to doing a million uh, and they're making a lot more because that other half a million that they added is that they're split rather than at the broker split that they were getting when they had agents that were doing that business. So we've had a lot of, you know, we've had a half dozen success stories like that of broker owners that have come in and uh, increased dramatically their take-home income because they're freed up all the time that they used to spend dealing with a copier jam in the office or, oh, there's a flood in the basement or, you know, their top agent is thinking of leaving and they got to go bring them back. They're not doing any of that anymore. They're just dealing with buyers and sellers and they find that to be uh, really a better way to live their lives. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I know um, for real trends, it's a, it's a good time to be a brokerage buyer. We have, I think Steve has like 22 companies for sale right now. Um, I think some of those might have might have already closed or might be closing, but but yeah, it's a it's it's a good time for if you're looking to uh, take over market share, it's a good time to do it, I guess. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that uh, you know, COVID has slowed down that a little bit because obviously no one was willing to to go out and extend themselves in April and May and, you know, during the height of the pandemic. And you know, even though things are still, um, I, you know, from a public health perspective, things are still very um, uh, in much in flux. Uh, the economy seems to have stabilized and the housing market has demonstrated some resiliency such that, uh, you know, we have a situation where, you know, I think I think some of these buyers are now becoming a little bit more confident that, okay, well, you know, I wasn't really all that certain about what was going to happen back in April, but now, you know, now it looks like that things are going to be a little bit more stable going forward, and so they're more willing to make that move. Because I do think I haven't heard of any major acquisitions, uh, any M&A activity in the last six months, but I expect it will probably pick up now. So what do you find to be the greatest challenge in business, whether it's related to the pandemic or just in general? Wow, that's such an open-ended question. What's the biggest challenge in business? Yeah, uh, I think the biggest challenge is keeping your north star. It's keeping yourself centered. That you're focused on the things that matter. You know, to me, you know, my focus, my obsession, my passion for this business is that I, I it's what I teach and what I've written about in my books is that we have to focus on what other people need. That your focus has to be on. What am I doing for other people? What is it they need, and how can I give it to them? And that's not hard. You know, you think, okay, well, that seems very simple, but it's it's a it's a simple concept, but very hard to execute because it's often tough to uncover what people need. Those needs often change. Uh, it might be that what they need is not a good fit with what you do, and so you either have to adapt what you do and the services you provide, or you have to give up that person as a potential customer or client. Uh, it's not easy. And I think what also happens is that, you know, you get caught up doing things the way you do them and the way you always do them. And then as the need shifts, you don't shift with it. I mean, we've learned that in the last six months that I think most of us in the traditional, quote unquote, traditional industry, the industry that I think of as the partnership model of brokerage, where the broker and the agent are partners and the agent gets most of the commission income, but shares a bit of it with the, with the broker and the broker provides services and whatnot, that that model, um, I think, has, has been resilient, but has obviously been under a lot of attack from 
what we think of as more of um, you know the, the discount type brokers where they're they're um, uh, charging less to the agent, providing a much lower range of services, but trying to do it at scale and make a little bit on each agent. And um, and and what I think the traditional brokers learned in the last six months was that some of the things that we were paying for agents no longer valued as much. And I think the best example, the obvious example, is facilities that. We spend a lot. I mean, traditional brokers spend a lot on bricks and mortar. And even before COVID, we were seeing the growth of virtual brokerages uh, around the country, that they were they had a value proposition to the agents, which was just higher split and lower service. But who needs an office? You're working from your car. You're working from a Starbucks. You're working from your home. And that was already something I think that was a growing realization. And I think the last six months kind of kind of really drove it home that, we should be really careful about what we're spending on facilities because the agents may not value it. And if they value it, and I don't think that, I mean, listen, my company's not going to go virtual. We're not going to go from 25 offices to one and cover an entire tri-state area from my basement. But I think that we can be smarter about the, the, um, the facilities we invest in. And we can be a, almost like a hybrid that, yeah, you don't have to be all bricks and mortar and you don't have to be all virtual. You can have a, you know, a footprint, uh, agents, you know, I think I think the agents that we have in our company like having a physical location that they can they can rely on. They don't want to go entirely virtual, but the ones that want to go entirely virtual, either they can do it with us, or you know, there are options for them. But I just think that there's a place for the brokerage that still has some of the traditional bells and whistles. It's just that you got to provide them as cost effectively as possible. And I think what we have to really stay on top of is that we are adapting our services to the changing needs of, of agents and clients uh, so that we're giving them what they need in a cost-effective way and not providing them with a lot of stuff that costs us money that they don't really care about because that's, that's, the, that's the, the death knell. That's the thing that really hurts you if you, if you fall into that trap. Yeah, definitely. And it's, you know, I think COVID's accelerated a lot of those trends. Um, so where do you see the most opportunity in real estate brokerage, specifically in the next maybe six months to a year? Next six months to a year. So what do I see as the opportunity for real estate in the next six months to a year? Uh, I, see, I, I see, as we referenced before, I think that there's acquisition opportunities out there right now uh, for growth. I do think that you know, even if we get through this difficult period, I think there will be brokers that will be like, well, you know, I've had enough, like enough ups and downs, enough, uh, enough, uh, you know, having to deal with, you know, the, you know every, every couple of years, something new comes up that we've never had to deal with before. And now we have to deal with it. And whoever wanted to become an expert in public health and how to maintain an office, uh, uh, you know, new cleaning systems and having to do sign-ins for people and all that kind of stuff, providing PPE. I mean, who, there's a lot to being a broker that I think a lot of people are going to say enough's enough and they're going to want to step away, which is what you said. You might you, you see it as being um, uh, that there are companies that are making themselves available. So I think there's an opportunity there. Uh, I do think that there's an opportunity for smart brokers and agents who recognize that the consumer really does want to be taken care of, um, that there's a model that is being very well funded right now that, you know, the direct-to-consumer model of avoiding the agent and evading the agent and the consumer sells a house the way they would sell a car uh, to, a, you know, a dealer rather than doing a private transaction. 
Um, and I think those those kinds of models will have some impact, and I think they will appeal to some people. But I also think that we're we're definitely dealing with a situation in which people cry out for full service. They 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 want to be taken care of, and I think there's an opportunity for good brokers and good agents to be the broker and the agent who uh, who takes care of people and gives them that higher quality service. You have to do it. You can't just say you're going to do it. You have to actually do it. But the opportunity is there. Uh, the, 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 you're not going to distinguish yourself in this market if you provide some sort of mediocre service because if people are going to get mediocre service, they'll turn to a discount broker or they'll sell their, uh, sell their home through a direct buyer. Um, they have to get a better experience. And if you're willing to invest in that, both in effort as well as in money, and providing that experience, I think there's great opportunities ahead. Yeah, definitely. Well, Joe, thank you so much for joining the Real Trends podcast. We appreciate you talking to us, and congratulations again on being named Executive Director of the Broker Public Portal. I look forward to seeing seeing how you grow it. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure being with you. Thank you, Tracy. That was a, that was a lot of fun.